When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. It's Final Week Cricket Podcast, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. And our guest this week is Australian batsman, Victorian captain, Leicestershire batsman, wicketkeeper. I saw you had the gloves the other week. Pete Hanscom, we're at Grace Road. The, I think it's the biggest playing surface in the world behind you here. Lovely spot to be doing it in the studio. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for making time for us. And um, how have you found your return to Leicestershire? I know you played cricket here as a, as a youngster uh, on the way up the pyramid, if you like. Uh, how have you found the first month here? Oh, pleasure, pleasure to be on on with you guys uh, to start with. But no, it's 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 nice being back. Yeah, I was I was lucky enough when I came over here to just to play some club cricket that we had a we had a connection. Obviously, with Andrew McDonald being at Leicester, that I was able to come down and and do a little bit of training with with the boys, and then uh, with the the fact that I've got a British passport, made mm. it made it a nice little uh, little chance to play some some twos cricket here for Leicester as as the overseas uh, and, and sort of get that taste for what it is like over here so that was that was a nice experience and I guess the difference in playing for a club like Leicestershire compared to some of your previous England stints Middlesex at Lords Yorkshire at Headingley test playing grounds I know you've got the the other experience at, at Gloucestershire as well over at Bristol but a club without quite the same resources in I suppose it's uh, an unfashionable county I hate that term but that's how it's characterized the difference in experience playing here with a, a different kind of group as well yeah yeah it is different to to test playing venues but it also has has its own charm uh, and its own characteristics as well and I think one of the beauties about uh, Grace Road which I'm, I'm finding out each day in, in each training session is that the the facilities here are actually really Really, really good. The nets are great. Mm. Uh, the centre wicket's been been brilliant, and we've been able to get out onto the ground and and have centre wicket practice, which is uh, is huge. So you get a good feeling for the ground. You get to face, you know, bowlers coming up the hill. You get to face bowlers coming down the hill. Get an understanding of of sort of what that means for your game. So it is nice in that retrospect that we have a lot of control over this ground and and uh, can sort of really get a good feel for it and make it a, a good home venue. You must have been over the moon with the way things started, Pete. You've had some uh, some tough seasons in county cricket previously, but landing this time, a big 100, match-winning 50. You know, Leicestershire's had this winless drought. You're able to get them a big win uh, against Yorkshire. It couldn't have started any better. It was a nice start, yeah. It was, it's, you know, you always want to come in and... and help a team or contribute to a win uh, as quickly as possible and, and the best way to do that is is making runs but yeah to be able to do that in the sort of first game uh, against such a big club and then all the all the sort of records that come uh, from Leicester you know out of the woodwork they hadn't <laughs> hadn't beaten Yorkshire at, at Headingley since 1910 didn't win a game last year so it was a really really nice feeling amongst the group coming in uh, and, and yeah hitting the ground running like that and it wasn't just me that was making runs and and and, uh, and helping to contribute to a win it was, it was a whole whole team effort which I think is probably the most pleasing thing about 
that first game against Yorkshire is that so many people contributed to to getting that win and it's it's a good sign for the season. It, it felt like a big decision for you to come out here and play county cricket as opposed to going out to New Zealand and playing in, in the A-team recently and acknowledging you've had several seasons in England and, and the most recent stint at Lords didn't go as well as you would have liked. Was there any logic to that decision that you wanted to kind of prove yourself in these conditions, specifically in England, rather than going on your umpteenth A-tour? Yeah, yeah. And, and the, I think the A-tour had been sort of programmed to to try and emulate English conditions as much as possible. So playing in New Zealand, but with Duke balls and, and, and they were trying to get as close to English wickets as, as they could over there. So if we were trying to emulate English conditions, then what better than to to actually come over here and play in, in the conditions. And also it was more more opportunity as well. Uh, as two games playing for Australia A and, and six games here playing mm. for Leicester. So that opportunity to play more cricket, to be able to push my case even even further and, and then also just work on, on my game over here and keep trying to trying to get better. And did the Australian selectors, did you have any conversation with them about that? Did Was there any acknowledgement about the sense in making that decision and deciding not to go to New Zealand? And uh, and I suppose being in England, being being around means that you're available as a reserve, even, even if you're not in the squad, you put yourself closer to the action in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... As soon as I found out that the that the Leicester opportunity was on the table, I, I spoke to the the selectors straight away and got got an, uh, a feeling from them what uh, how they would want me to go, what direction would be would be better. And to uh, to their credit, they said straight away, no issues. Like go go and play in England, get more games, get more um, experience over there, which was great from them. Um, you know, to to wait county cricket um, ahead of a, an Australia A tour was was great from them and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I got I got this opportunity and then yeah it's 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 also part being in England Ashes year you everyone wants to be here and if you're in the right spot at the right time then you, you never know what's going to happen. You've had such an unusual last six years in many ways from an Australian perspective and we'll get into a bit of that and go back to the start of your story but I remember the last time I interviewed you was uh, for a newspaper piece at the start of the of the first lockdown I guess it would have been during the pandemic and your perspective at the time was that you'd been non-stop on the treadmill playing cricket in England and Australia for pretty much a decade by that point and you'd you didn't say explicitly that you'd burnt out, but I got the impression you might have a little bit and were grateful for a bit of time away from the game. Has that given you perspective as well, coming back to playing for Australia in recent months, playing county cricket over here, that you've had a chance to refresh the batteries a little bit, albeit a little while ago, and, and now you're, you're pretty happy to be back on the treadmill again? Yeah, it's funny. Perspective such a such an interesting one uh, with cricket and how it does change. Yeah, I'd, I'd had quite a few back-to-back seasons and there was a... There was a lot of ups and downs in that sort of four-year block leading into into COVID and into the lockdown, uh, where I was yeah I was probably mentally drained, feeling the effects of yeah of, of being dropped, being selected, being dropped again, and mm. and that roller coaster journey that is that is cricket and and international cricket. So yeah, looking back, it was it was a good time for for me to have a break um obviously it was a it was a tough time around the world and it was pretty scary as well but yeah I got to spend some time at home which doesn't happen often uh, or extended periods at home we were very lucky that we could still train 
Um, so I was still able to to still work on my craft and, and stay fit and do everything I needed to do that when the when the matches did come that I was I was ready to go again, the body was ready, but also I'd had that that mental break. Um, so yeah, it was it was sort of a, a bit of a blessing in disguise. And I guess being a few years further on, you know, you're into the early part of your 30s now and, and getting back into that Australian team, were you able to be philosophical about it to, to embrace the experience for what it was and be a little bit more detached from, you know, having to think about what this means next, you know, what the next thing might be, but just to be able to enjoy the experience in India? Yes, yeah, I... I yeah sort of what we were talking about their perspective changed a little bit and it's also changed with, with the with the birth of my my first boy so you know you put all that together you put the hard times playing playing international cricket getting dropped getting selected getting dropped and then a global pandemic and then and then you start building a family i think cricket slowly or quickly depending how you look at it starts going down the rung in in what's important in your life and you start seeing that it, we're, we're very lucky to play cricket we're very lucky to be able to travel the world and, and do all that but the important things are my family and and spending quality time with them and making sure that they're going well so the stresses that I used to have about cricket have changed and yes there are new there are definitely new stresses now and and that that pulls in a in a different direction but yeah when you're out on the cricket field it's 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 nice it's um you're enjoying your your mate's company you're still trying to do everything that you possibly can to to win and to to contribute to wins with whoever team you're playing with at the time but yeah that's uh, that perceived pressure, I think, has has changed quite a bit. You hear this a lot from the guys in the Aussie dressing room at, at the moment. I think Manus, who you're playing against tomorrow here, as it happens, uh, mm-hmm. Manus Labuschagne here with Glamorgan. He reflected on it during the Aussie summer that his mannerisms were different last summer because he's just too knackered at home with the baby. <laughs> and you know, I know myself as well. It's a very relatable experience when you've got young kids that you can't have quite the same uh, laser-like focus on one thing because you'd be. I'm doing a disservice to, to people around you. Usman Khawaja is the other great mm. example, really, that he came back to the test team at 36, so many years on in the career from where you are at the moment, and says that he's never been more carefree playing. And it can't be coincidental that he's achieved his best results at this stretch of time. So, I mean, do you take inspiration from colleagues of yours, teammates of yours, who, who've been on this journey that you're now on as a dad and, and wonder whether that might be how your career flows as well? Now you're kind of on the back nine of it at age 31. Uh, 32 today. 32 uh, today. Yeah, I know. That is sloppy research. Yeah, come on, mate. I thought Bur- you'd be all sloppy over Sloppy research. Happy birthday. Usually that's the sort of thing we pick up on. Happy birthday. Oh, bloody I was, hell. I thought that was going to be cakes and candles. And, <laughs> we can deal with this um, later on. 32 today then. All, all the more reason to, um, I suppose, do a, a, a moment of reflection as we are, I, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, that, that idea that, well, 32, yeah. um, that you're closer to the end and the start and, and how, how that might feel in this different stage of life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you sort of hit the... Hit the nail on the head there with, with Manus and Uzi and yeah, how yeah, Manus's mannerisms change because home life is different and there are those those different stresses. But I think that's that's an incredible thing. So no matter what's 
no matter what's happened on on the cricket field during the day or training, you know, you've gone in, you've forgotten which end to hold the bat. You, <laughs> you can't can't seem to hit the ball for whatever reason, and you you're driving home and you're miserable, and you're like, oh, this is this sucks. I don't know how I'm going to score my next <laughs> run. And then you walk through the door and and you stop thinking about cricket straight yeah. away because you've got a, a baby to feed, nappies to change, toys to to play with, uh, and all of a sudden that that stress that was cricket just disappears by a, by a better stress, which is exciting. And I think it's a really, um, it, it's an, it's a nice thing to have to be able to go home and not, not think about work as much. Um, and if, you know, if you do come home and you haven't, you haven't got anything else, like I used to spend hours after coming home thinking like, what am I doing? Where's my back going? Where are my feet going? What's my hands doing? And this sort of like sp- just spirals uh, and you end up into into some dark places but you don't have that you don't have that time now you don't have that luxury because you got you got a little little person depending on you to be entertained to be cleaned and bathed and um that's uh, it's just a lot of fun yeah it's interesting switching off the the worry machine that that can just make you go around and around i guess if we go back to the start you mentioned the uk passport um your dad john and, and his strong connection to huntington cricket club and then eventually moving out to australia like was it inevitable that you would end up being immersed in cricket given that well cricket cricket always ran in the family so dad played yeah minor county stuff over here i think along with my his brother my uncle so they they loved it and then you know the culture in australia once you're out there is get outdoors and and during the summertime it's backyard cricket or beach cricket or you're going down to nets and having a hit so yeah I think cricket was always going to be a part of a part of my life I was always going to be immersed into it um in it in some way or another I'm just lucky that uh, I was able to to continue on and you know play at a, at a high standard and, and make a living out of it for the moment my stepbrother James was a very good leg spinner as well and and uh, you know, he pushed his case to to play a couple of second eleven games, I think, for Victoria, or he was he was close, but you know, it didn't work out for him. So sometimes these happen, and and I think you know you got to be grateful that I was in the right place at the right time, and and sort of making the right runs to to be able to make a, a career out of this. Um, why did your parents decide to make that trip, and and how old were you when this was happening? So I was I was born in Australia. Uh, my parents mm. met in Australia, so they didn't come out together. I think they just met through through mutual friends out in out in Sydney and or in New South Wales in the Blue Mountains. And um, yeah, so had had my brother and and myself out in Australia. And I couldn't tell you how old they were when they came out because yeah, I I, I, I forget. But uh, but yeah, the, the, I've always been in Australia and and. You know, they considered themselves, or Mum, definitely considers herself uh, Australian now, and and Dad, uh, Dad loved both uh, Australia and England. Your dad's come up on the podcast before when we had Mel Jones on for our, I guess it was our Christmas app four or five years ago, and she spoke lovingly about the influence he had on her um, life as a student. Mm. Um, you must get a bit of that from his former students and pupils who he influenced in in loving cricket, obviously, like your family did as well. Yeah, I've had the odd message, uh, you know, randomly on on Instagram. Just yeah, sort of how good dad dad was. I think for uh, for those that went through Elwood <laughs> um, Secondary College in uh, in Melbourne, 
but yeah, Mel, Mel Jones being one of them and, and he was the, the geography teacher slash sports coordinator and would drive the bus and, and take him out to, to games. So um, yeah, he, he was an incredible, incredible man and, and, and had a lot of time for everyone and, and uh, you know, especially me with the, the amount of times he took me down to the the nets uh, through countless balls, you know, help me play straight, play in the V, keep the ball on the ground, all that, all that stuff, you know, that sticks with you forever. So, yeah, I was, I was very lucky with him. He was a fair bit older in life when he, when he had you and, and passed away just before you started your international mm. career, but at a very, um, very old age or relatively old age. Did, yep. I mean, do you think about him and when you're playing for Australia or playing for Victoria and think, gee, it would have been pretty cool given his love of cricket to have seen you wear the baggy green and that kind of thing? Or, or is it the sort of thing you can compartmentalise given it was a while ago now? Uh no, it's 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 still still think about him a fair uh, a fair bit. I pretty much made my international debut a year after he, he passed. Yeah, he did make it to eighty, so it was actually a, it was a decent uh, decent stint from him as well. So um, no, he was, was good, but yeah, still still think about him a lot. I think that's that's something that um, yeah, it's a shame that he never he never got to see sort of the the, the international side of it and. Uh, uh, and and how you know sort of my career has progressed since then, but it's nice to think back and and see how much or remember how much he he did do for me, and and hopefully you know that's something I can I can do with Jack. At the point where you're growing up with a dad who's mad into cricket, it's a big part of your life. That's just normal. That's just part of the background at that point. At what stage did you realise you might actually make a go of this as a profession? I don't think I really ever thought that this would be a profession. Uh, I, I sort of had odd jobs here and there as I was a, a soccer referee from 14 to 18 and getting abused on the sidelines every Saturday. And and then on, on top of that, I was, I was sort of, I was doing a bit of tennis coaching as well uh, at a place where I used to, I used to train for tennis. So I was at uni, I was, I was getting ready to, to live live a relatively normal life and, and play cricket on the weekends and, and enjoy that. And then, yeah, when I was 19, I had a, I had a really good season for St Kilda. Well, it was a decent season in compared to others. It was a low-scoring season. I think it was quite wet and the wickets were, were a bit tough and I was, I was able to be one of the top scorers. And, and lucky enough that I got a, I got a rookie contract off the, off the back of that. But even then, you know, you don't really know how it's going to go and, and what that looks like and you know, rookie contracts aren't, aren't a lot of money or they, they weren't when, when I started and they definitely weren't, you know, when the boys before me were, were starting as well. So that's, that's, all, uh, that's all changed, which is great to see the way the game, uh, the game of cricket is going. But in terms of being professional, it was probably something when I was maybe in my fourth or fifth year, where I was like, all right, this, this, this could be, this could be a, a decade-long thing. If I'm lucky, it could be 15 years you know, I've really got to try and try and keep doing this. Interesting. A lot of a lot of people that come through the pathway as you did, you know, Vic seventeens, nineteens, Australia nineteens, they think they're gonna be, you know, professionals for twenty years, right? They they hedge that way. They withdraw from formal education. They don't have other options, if you like, where you kind of were the other way, which might have meant you were fairly temperamentally well set to be a professional. And I mean Chris Rogers, your Victorian coach, tells an anecdote which I'm sure I've um, relay back to you before in questioning where he remembers your first Sheffield Shield game at the Gabba, searing hot heat. You're at the tea break, and instead of you know having a an energy drink and a banana, you sat on the you sat on the physiotherapist bench and, and meditated for for 20 minutes. And he he thought 
as a senior player in the team then with you, he saw that as uh, an early cue that you had your act together and you understood that having a, a good sense of control over your, your, your thought processes and so on and staying calm and, and riding the roller coaster of cricket that way was going to put you in a, in a good position. So it suggests that you, from an early age, had a pretty good handle on where you were at. Well, yeah, I, I was lucky. It, it, it depends how you look at it. I was, I was never really that good in the state stuff. I did okay. I probably my under seventeens year was was good for Victoria, and I sort of got a little bit off the back of that. But then my under nineteens year, I averaged ten for Victoria and couldn't spell bat. So uh, like, you go through that, and you and you and you're thinking, well, all right, this probably isn't for me. It was a great crack. I've I've enjoyed it, but I need to make sure that something else is uh, is going to happen. And you know, dad dad was a, a being a teacher um, and mum was always strong on education, it was, you know, make sure that, that uni's, uni's there and you've got something, uh, you've got something in the background because, yeah, professional sport uh, is great uh, and you're very lucky if you get to play it, but not many people, not many people do. So, yeah, I always, always had little, little things going off or growing up, little ways to yeah, make money and, and that's probably, yeah, helped me, helped me a fair bit. And that, that anecdote about you, sort of having that mindfulness process and meditative process and all the rest of it. When you're a pretty young bloke, it tends to take people a bit deeper into their 20s or 30s before they find that kind of thing. <laughs> what is that still part of your life now as a battle-hardened pro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still use it. And it, it took it took a, a quite a long time to sort of figure out why the meditation was was good for me and, and sort of how it, how it helped. Um, at the time, it was something that Greg Shippard had – got all the rookies doing uh he'd just taken us to a uh yeah it wasn't a mindfulness coach at the time it was just a, a way to meditate and we learnt a uh a one word saying that we were just a mantra that we would just repeat for 20 minutes and we sort of learned how to how to go into that space and what that meant for our mind and 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 I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed that I could stop for twenty minutes and feel really relaxed uh, after that. Essentially, it's not a twenty minute nap, but it's just like a shutdown, which which kind of revitalised myself and sort of felt like I'd been asleep for two hours. Um, and you come back with a with a bit of energy, and I enjoyed that feeling. So I lent into it more and tried to research it more, and then sort of fa- like found out that I get. I get really nervous before I bat. No matter who I'm playing for, I get really, really nervous. And my natural nervous response is to be really tired. So I start yawning and I feel like I need to fall asleep. Well, it looks like it in India, didn't it? When, when the camera pants you on the balcony, but when you were next in in India, I don't know if you even know this, it looks like you were napping. Yeah, so, and, that, yeah. And, so, like, I was, so that still happens now. Yeah, so that's was, that was sort of two, two wickets out. Um, if, I'm, if I'm feeling those that, that tiredness, that, that effect again, then rather than trying to go the other way and grab a coffee and, and wake myself up, I actually lean into it and I, and I fall asleep or I, I have this mantra and I try and calm myself down that way. And then, and then once the wicket falls and I'm kind of next in, then everything starts to, to, to come together again and I, I, can, I can be ready to, ready to bat. Was there a, a buzz? Like, was it enjoyable going up those levels as as younger player, getting into state cricket and so on, or, or was it more an, an anxious kind of experience? You know, it, it sounds like there's quite a lot of anxiety there and worrying about whether you're you're good enough to do it and that sort of thing. Uh, 
it's an interesting one because I think when you're young and you first come in, the expectations are low and it's just like, go and play, mate. Like you've done enough to warrant selection. Like just keep, keep doing that and see, you know, see how you go. You basically got a free, free hit at it. And I made my debut for Victoria in my rookie year, the first couple of games for the, for the season and, and sort of did okay. And yeah, there was, there was, again, still no expectation. It was help out the team, do what you got to do when you're batting, back your, back your instincts, back your, back your game plan and, and sort of go from there. And only once you start making runs and, uh, and, and sort of becoming, a uh, a first a first picked in the team then then sort of that anxiety started to come into it and being like okay that that perceived pressure that um you know I have to perform day in day out sort of that that started to creep in uh and then again it it intensifies even more when you start playing for Australia and there's more cameras and they're they're picking you apart even more and then yeah you go through that stage where you make no runs and you can't find a way out. You don't know what you're doing, and you're overanalyzed, and it that that anxiety creeps in again. So it is that those those waves. But yeah, it's just over the over the period of time. And I think you know you'll talk to guys like like Manus and 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 Uzi and you know even Matthew Wade who, who sort of come back uh, at at that latest later stage in in their career. That you just learn how to deal with that stuff, and you understand what it is and what that feeling is. Uh, and how to how to get through it, but in the in the time when you're experiencing it first, it's it's scary. When you're in the headlights as well, like it, it, it tends to be a tipping point for every athlete that, that does well. Where suddenly um, everybody knows your name, you know. And for you, that that moment is kind of on television. That big bash game, and I remember where you no one nights runs, you make a hundred, and suddenly you're you're front and center mm. and being talked about for Australian selection. Doesn't happen then, but. Nevertheless, you, you are a name that people know. In the street, people would probably be getting a cup of coffee and go, oh, that's that Pete Hanscom. I saw him make 100 the other night. Mm-hmm. Like That feeling of, um, of not having your anonymity anymore, like, that feeds into what you're describing there. Yeah, and then also the fact that like, it, it is your job and you, you, you are going to work each time you play. And the fact that people would just comment on randomly, ran, absolute randoms can just comment on how you've done your job that day yes uh and you know whether you've had a good day or a bad day but yeah you might get just some random message on on instagram just confirming your negative thoughts and you're like (laughs) i can't mate i didn't (laughs) i didn't really need that today like i was i was feeling down as enough as it was so yeah it's it's weird but it's funny what 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 people remember and what people forget like i made a hundred in that big bash game against Perth Scorchers, it, it sort of helped us get into the semi-finals. Then the next week, played the Perth Scorchers again over in the Wacker and got a second ball duck. That was my expectation was that next week I'm going to make another hundred. But cricket being the great leveler just pulled me straight back down to earth, and and I was yeah walking off the field pretty quickly. It's an interesting one that that innings because like I've watched a lot of big bash cricket, and to be honest, I remember very little of it. It all just blurs into each other it's all basically one long game but I remember that innings I'm like why do I remember that like I remember it very vividly I remember watching it do you have any sense like when you were playing it or afterwards because it seems to be one that people know about you say remember the hands come 100 and they're like oh yeah yeah that one can you 
shed any light on why that might have cut through in a way that it did? I, no, I, I don't know. Maybe because it was so unexpected and I was just this little weedy kind of <laughs> bloke who can't hit sixes and all of a sudden managed to put a couple over the fence. And But every, it, sort of everything went right that game. Um, mm. You know, blokes, blokes up the other end were able to take the pressure off me when I when I needed it. Like John Hastings comes in, hits three sixes back-to-back, gets out trying to hit the fourth. Rob Quiney played a, a lovely innings. Clint McKay played a, 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 a very good innings as well to, to get us close. And then Scotty Bowen at the end, like almost running himself out just to get me back on strike. Like it was just a – I don't know. It was just a really weird sort of innings, how everything seemed to work and balls fell in the gap. And, um, yeah, but I don't know why it sticks in people's mind. I'm, I'm sorry that it's sticking – it's sticking in your minds. I'm sure you've got better things to think about. It's such a funny sort of game of snakes and ladders, especially uh, with selection before you've had a chance to play for Australia, right? Everyone's got an opinion what you're describing there. And there are these windows or opportunities where it's pretty clear that one innings can get you a baggy green. And you had one of those moments against New South Wales in uh, late 2016. The Australian team have a stinker in Hobart. There are going to be wholesale changes. We described it on the podcast as the Australia's Got Talent Sheffield Shield round Hmm. and you go out and make a double and it's pretty clear you're going to get picked unless something goes radically awry. Your reflections on being in that spot where you know that you're this far away and one more hit and you can reach the pinnacle of of, uh, any professional cricketer's desire which is to to earn a baggy green in Australia. Yeah, Yeah, it was... It's such a such an interesting time. I, I'd I'd like to think that no matter sort of what I'd done in that game, I still would have been selected because I'd put in a lot of good work up mm. to that time as well. And I think if you're selecting off one game, you know, guys can have a day out. And you know, lucky for me, I did. But you know, there was a lot of good players that didn't make runs that game that could have easily been picked and, and performed for Australia as well. I think it's just reflective of the madness of the time, right? Like it, it's yeah. less to do with what you're saying there about the body of work. Clearly it had a couple of really very tidy shield seasons. It was more that it was an altered state of consciousness for Australian cricket right then. And it was like whoever made runs right then was probably going to get a start. And, and you know, then you walk along and it was the most obvious thing in the world. Yeah, and then so I guess while I was batting or, or coming into that game it was more let's not focus on the Australian stuff like that that'll that'll come if I do my processes right if I uh do everything I can to contribute to a win for uh a win for Victoria you know Trav Dean made 130 up the other end as well no one no one spoke about him but he batted beautifully against the exact same attack exact same team same conditions you know he he made he made great runs so there's yeah, there's there's timing, there's there's luck, um, but in terms of that game, it was trying to take the focus away from the Australia stuff. Let's just focus on the next ball that's coming down. I know it's a cliche, but that that is cricket. As soon as you're thinking too far in front, you're you're forgetting to react to just that that ball that's coming down. And it's a dream run to start with. Like it's tough, and you prosper. You're debuting against Rabada and and, and Abbott under lights that Adelaide pink ball test where where things are difficult um a couple of hundreds against Pakistan in three test matches to follow that I mean it just must have felt like you were flying at that point you've 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 made it you've got in and then everything is is going exactly right yeah and and this is where this is where cricket um I think is 
is so crazy because one, I was, I was really lucky to be picked while I was in form. I played club cricket a week before that, made a hundred. I'd then come into uh, into the shield cricket, made a double hundred. So I'd gone back to back runs, and I was like, "Yep, you're in. You're picked. Like, go for it. Just own your game." I'm like, "Sweet, I know what my game is. So this is this is what this is what we're going to do." Whereas I think sometimes you can get picked and you you don't say no, but you're almost thinking, "Oh no, should I actually be?" be in this situation so I was I was quite lucky that I, I felt like I was ready to to give it a crack and then again I like in the game in the actual game I play and miss my first ball which could have easily been nicked off for a golden duck my next ball I drive quite well but it lands you know half a foot short of Philander for a return you know caught and bowled Either one of those goes wrong and I'm walking off the field for a duck and test debut and all of a sudden my, conf- my confidence levels go from sky high, I'm ready to play to I'm not good enough for this level. And, you, and then you don't know what happens in the test after that. So hmm. everything and just... Nick Maddinson it, did, didn't he? In the, yeah. in the same game, he, he had that happen to him, didn't it? From memory. E- exactly. So I, I came in at a time during the day, sun out, ball not doing... Like doing a little bit but not doing massive um didn't actually have to face uh Rabada in my first innings you know everything just worked out nicely for me to be able to build in innings and and sort of get some confidence in test cricket and then Nick Maddinson comes out faces Rabada under lights gets an absolute seed and walks off with a completely different feeling and it's you, you don't sort of see it at the time but sort of looking back on it you know it could have been could have been so different, um, considering that how how cricket is such a such a mental game and such a confidence game that I walked out of that game with confidence, uh, and and you know potentially Maddo might have been doubting because um, he only got the one hit, so it might have been doubting, you know, how he was going to go about it. Hi, I'm Brian Roddle. You're listening to the Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. It's a remarkable first year in international cricket for you because, you know, you hit the winning runs in your first test to make a half century, 50 on Boxing Day, you know, a couple of hundreds that Jeff referred to before. You finished the summer with an average of like 99.7 or something ridiculous, haven't been dismissed for under 50 in test cricket. Then you're off to Asia, have a test match that you save against Ashwin and Jadeja on day five in the in a dust bowl by that point at Ranchi, making 70 of not, you know, um, the Chittagong match winning 80 odd when you lose 10 kilograms or whatever it was can't remember now but you know you were in serious distress and get to the other side of it I reckon then after Chittagong the consensus around the press box and around wider Australian cricket is Peter Hanscom's the next test captain right? it's just like it, had you asked 100 people 90 of them would have said oh Hanscom's the next test captain two tests later you're out of the side. And this is just in hindsight one of the more uh, staggering turns because yeah, you miss out in Brisbane, but you don't completely miss out in Adelaide. You make 30-odd or 40-odd in the first innings and bat for a long time, bat in the dark um, against the second new ball on that first night, miss out in the second test, but there was so much scrutiny on your technique. No one gave a shit when you were making runs about the way you set up and that unusual tap of the bat and back and across and all that. No one seemed to care in 16-17, but 
couple of Ashes test matches that don't blow the doors down and you're not only sort of in the gun, you're, you're dropped. There's no sort of third chance or anything like that. You're gone and the bloke who replaces you rattles off a ton at the first time of asking in Mitch Marsh. I mean, give us a sense of how you were able to ride that particular roller coaster because it seemed like a pretty extreme one. Yeah, that, that rattled me. That was tough. That was, that was a really probably well, – that was one of the lower points in, in my cricketing career. I'd come in – I was still feeling all right. Uh, I think I'd made 100 in shield cricket as well before that, before the, the Ashes. I got one hit in Brisbane. I went at a run of ball. I got 13 maybe, but at a run of ball and, and felt good, played a couple of nice shots and then just missed one, which you know you do sometimes as a batter. And uh, for me, my mode of dismissal tends to be LBW just based on how I bat and where I stand. So sometimes it looks ugly, but it allows me to score runs in other places. And then, yeah, the next game was tough, but it under lights. So this is like the it's like the flip side from the previous year. So I had I had the good run the previous year and then this year, yeah, had the tough conditions under lights, you know, fight my ass off trying to get through. And I got through both times batting under lights and then got out the next morning and sort of missed out on those opportunities. And that's that's the moment there where I could have cemented a spot for the summer and had a chance and I didn't. And that's that's a bit on me. That's a bit on the English bowlers as well and how well they were bowling at the time and, and making it talk, uh, at least at least to me they were. But, yeah, the, the, yeah that Perth game, uh, that, was, that was tough. I had a feeling I was going to get dropped even after, yeah, just three, three innings in Australia, a place where I'd made a lot of runs before. I was, I was hopeful to, to stay in. But the wicket dictated that we sort of needed the extra bowler and I, I understood that. Probably the worst thing about it was that I was warming up the morning of the, the game, morning of day one. I was in the nets. I was starting to do my routine, you know, just in case because I hadn't been told anything yet. And then selector comes over and goes, yeah, Pete, you're not uh, not playing this game. Um, that seems like you know, dreadful man management. I mean, <laughs> you've, you, you're still a relatively junior member of the side despite your output to that stage. And you're told the morning of the test, sorry, we've, we've gone the other way. Like surely there, there should be a, a better line of communication. You'd hope there would be now. Yeah, well, it's tough. It is tough because looking from, I mean, I didn't see it at, at the time. I didn't see it from their point of view at the time because obviously I was in my own bubble and I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm like, nah, this is, you know, I should be playing. I want to be playing, rah, rah. But also they wanted to see the wicket again in the morning. They wanted to understand what the conditions were going to be like, have a better understanding of what the weather was going to do, if they needed the extra bowler or not. So I understand that, yeah, they, they waited that extra time, but... Yeah, in the moment, it it hurt a lot, uh, and then to to couple that with all the scrutiny that you get as a as a international player with all those extra cameras uh, and the commentators need to talk about something. So if you're a little bit different, then then you're going to get spoken about sometimes. So uh, it was a big learning experience, I think, for me because after that after that series, I got off uh, all social media except for Instagram because. It just felt like on those other platforms, I was too accessible. Um, whether people were talking about me or trying to directly talk to me, it just felt like I was just getting personally attacked for for trying to do my job. So yeah, the, the decision there to, to sort of get off that social media platforms has, has helped me a lot uh, since then. It took a long time to, to sort of figure that out, but it's helped me a lot. 
it seems like it'd be hugely confronting to, like you mentioned a while ago, people coming up to you in the street and telling you when you've had a bad day. But then this is at another level where everybody has an opinion about you, about how you're doing it, about whether you're any good or whether you're not. And, and, and people who don't actually know you and don't actually know anything about you and have spent a total of 90 seconds thinking about it have suddenly come to their conclusions on it, right? How do you go about coping with that kind of situation where where someone who didn't know who you were yesterday now has a firmly held opinion about uh, multiple things about you, your life, how you do it, how you do your job, everything else about you? Uh, oh, I mean, I didn't. I didn't deal with it well at all. I didn't know how to get away from it. I didn't know how to push those comments to the sides. And it was always, it was always funny because in, in person, when you spoke to people, it was always like, oh, you know, bad luck, rah, rah, rah. And, you know, I think you're batting well or love what you're doing, all that. And then it just seemed like all the, the, the keyboard warriors would come out and, you know, behind, yeah, behind the, the keyboard were, were just ripping me to shreds. So that at least, that's what it, that's what it felt like. And I think when you see those negative comments and when you read them, they, it's, it affects you more than you think and you need a lot of positive energy to come back in and, and sort of get on top of that. So all I tried to do was not read it. <laughs> tried to tried to get away from it as much as possible. Any articles that I thought were going to be negative, I wouldn't read. Um, if it was a positive article, I'd read it because I wanted some, yeah, like a nice little little booster. Uh, that was at the time. And, and sort of now I've just gone completely away from it. So when when things happen in cricket or someone says something in cricket uh, about me or, or, or about anyone for that matter, I don't really know what's, what's going on. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm trying not to read it. Unless it pops up on my Instagram feed for some reason, then I, I'm probably not going to see it. Yeah, I reckon there's a, a responsibility on print reporters on cricket to, um, to weight the opinions. By that I mean not every opinion is evil, is equal. <laughs> you know, quoting some people who are, have made a professional career as commentators out of being headline grabbers, we should be more mindful of that and not quote them quite so readily. That's that's my view. Anyway, you kind of go into the wilderness at that point, which is so common, right? Mm. Aussie guys, get a start, play for Australia, all that goes with that, get dropped and then have that like, quite considerable dip and, you know, you, you're part of the, the Sandpaper series for kind of in this really odd way, the guy on the walkie-talkie, right? Like, you know, and, and then you disappear from view at that juncture. I'm not saying the two things are related, but, you know, uh, well, maybe we'll go to that first. I mean, the idea that you were the guy on the walkie-talkie who apparently was orchestrating this cover-up with the coach. You know, I know that that didn't carry much weight and it didn't last long because the events um, uh, surpassed it with the statements and the suspensions and, and all the rest of it. But being in the thick of the... I mean, I don't think it's the exaggeration to say that was one of the biggest stories in world sport that year, and, and you were your face was there, however peripheral. Yeah, wasn't um, that wasn't great. Uh, obviously, it was a, it was a tough time for Australian cricket, and uh, you know the boys have atoned for that, and it's and they've done their done their hard yards. But yeah, it's, it's probably a great example of social media that it was it was cut perfectly, so it looked like oh yeah, message right, send Pete out onto the field. All right, talk to Bancroft, okay, and get off the field, like send the message out. And it was all cut up to make it look like it happened within minutes. But the actual fact is that that was just like a big half an hour thing. And I only went on to field because someone needed to come off to go to the bathroom or to restrap or whatever. So it was just a freak thing that I was out there standing next to bangers. 
and we were just we were just talking like there was nothing it was nothing else but yeah the images suggested a lot more and it was yeah it was a bit of a shame that that's where social media went with it and it's just to reiterate the first point of the question that that's the bit when you kind of disappear from view for pretty much a year right between then and when you return to the one day team and make that hundred in Mahali which you might come to in a sec like you're you're nowhere to be seen in the Langer regime at least not initially you play one test match against India at the end of the summer is it a couple of test matches against India I got that right you come back into yeah, the team again same thing sort of played two I think in and out got dropped and then got picked again then got yeah. dropped and yeah <laughs> but you, you're still in that kind of in and out period where you're not yep. established and you're not kind of front and centre of the Aussie plans put it that way and having to kind of go back to, to the Victorian dressing room and go back to the St Kilda dressing room I suppose where um, you've got to have to find a find a different way that must come with an enormous amount of um, pressure on your shoulders knowing that you've been there you've done that but um, and you've got so long to go in your career but you're not there at that particular point getting dropped sucks it really does because you you almost you're essentially losing your job or it feels like you're losing your job and you've done so much to try and get there so yeah that was that was tough yeah after after South Africa and then that India series I sort of played it's, it's my memory's terrible when it comes to cricket, but I feel like I played two tests, uh, then got dropped, and then came back in for for Sydney, yep. uh, and then got dropped for the Sri Lanka series after that, <laughs> which would have been nice to stay on for. Yeah, uh, um, but a, a lot of guys filled their boots in those two weeks. Well, it was yeah, it was a very different um, it was a very different team to yes. to India, uh, so it would have been nice to see if I was good enough to play against Sri Lanka at that time uh, because that would have been international – that's international cricket as well. And India were the best in the world. So I was like, okay, well, I'm trying to compete with them, but can I compete with the others that are also very good and the best in, and, and up there with the best in the world? So that would have been a nice challenge. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, didn't didn't get the nod in Red Bull, but then got to go back over to, to India uh, – and sort of have my last stint there as a as an international cricketer for you know a couple of years, and that was that was an incredible tour. I think we played uh, what did we, do? we played twelve games, two two T twenties at the start against India. We win that we win that T twenty series, and I get to play T twenty cricket for Australia. Five one days, we win that series, and then we go to UAE, win five one days against Pakistan, and, and getting ready for the the one day World Cup. And, I mean, we've talked a lot about low points and, and glossed over some of the high points. I want to know about that feeling of those high points. I mean, the game at Mahali, like you 2-0 down in that series, come back and win at Mahali. It's one of the, the most ridiculous run chases ever. You make 100, Ashton Turner does his thing. Or you could be talking about a couple of test hundreds that you've made for Australia as well. What is it like on the day or, say, on the night of, of a match where you've come back into the dressing room and you've you've done the thing that you've set out to do. You know, you've made a test hundred for Australia or you've made a, a match winning hundred in, in that Mahali game. What what does that feel like if you can try to put it into words? Uh, I'm not I'm not sure. Like it's it's such a tough thing to put put into words. You you strive for so long to be able to to do something like this. Uh, you know, you um, you never quite know if you belong. You never quite know if you're good enough. Uh, and you know, there are glimpses of it. And I felt I was good enough to play Test cricket. 
and I came in and I made some runs and it kind of reaffirmed that, okay, yeah, maybe I can, I can do okay in this, in this world and, and potentially, you know, keep pushing. And then in one day cricket, I hadn't quite felt that yet. Even, uh, I'd had a, I'd had a couple of good scores, but I hadn't felt like I belonged. So that, that Mahali innings, uh, was, was special. And I think, uh, I feel like I didn't enjoy it enough for what it was because I might never score another one day hundred for Australia. And, uh, I, I can't remember just sitting down for a minute after that game and being like, wow, this is, this is cool. This is what I've, I've always wanted to do is, is make a hundred for Australia and help win a game and actually contribute to, to being, you know, one of the bigger factors in winning this game for Australia and how, yeah, how years and years of hard work kind of get you to that moment. So yeah, I was a bit, a bit frustrated. I think that I didn't enjoy it for what it was and just potentially assumed that there would be another one and that I'd be going on and, and making many more and, and having that opportunity again, because unfortunately that, that, that wasn't the case and I haven't really been able to play much one day cricket from, from that moment. Yeah, I, mean, I think one of Steve Wall's books was called Never Satisfied and that was kind of one of the themes that went through it that in his life as a cricketer there was always the next thing, the next thing, the next thing which kind of spurred him on but maybe at the time yeah, what you're describing there is a factor for a lot of players at the top level and then there's I suppose the lower moments right when you're not playing for Australia or um, you walked out in that World Cup semi-final and it was just complete chaos at Edgbaston. I remember that morning it just feeling like I've I've never felt uh, a white ball game feel quite like that England have the perfect day you're on the receiving end of it Australia are under the pump with all the earthing stuff with Justin Langer walking around in bare feet you know everything that could have happened to Australia to go wrong at that juncture a couple of injuries in the squad as well which give you the opportunity and like kind of then it's done right like that little run of the one day team ends at that point I've asked this of other players before. Do you kind of go back and watch the Mahali innings or the 100 you made for Australia on like YouTube or whatever? You know, is there a temptation to go back and go, I, I want to feel that again um, secondhand by looking at the tape and proving it happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've watched that innings a, a fair few times now. More when I'm feeling like crap and I don't know, I don't know where my next run's coming from and sort of using that as a visualization key to to be like okay so that's what it that's what it felt like that's how I was moving this is what you know and that sort of kind of starts bringing back some memories and it's like all right that was the the feeling this is what I was potentially thinking at that time or what I wasn't thinking and yeah I think it's I've, I've definitely used that as a way to try and get myself myself back uh so yeah, I think I think every cricketer looks at their their good stuff. Try you try not to watch your bad stuff because yeah. it feels like crap. There was this frustration as as someone watching your career, like we said, that you were given a very short rope in terms of um, when you were dropped from the Test team, and then the Mitch Marsh replaces you and makes 180 immediately, and then you were going so well in that one day side, and it always seemed evident that you were in the Steve Smith spot. You know, you were there at four, basically. You were the the uh, rotate through the middle and start to up the tempo towards the end and you were going so well but we kind of knew that when Smith came back he was likely to be able to pull rank and get that spot back and, and you struggled to be able to, to hold on to it. Is is a big part of succeeding being able to get past the feeling of being hard done by it? Because it must take quite a long time when you do feel like you've done just about everything right and you still haven't been given very much leeway at all 
Yeah. I think cricket can be a very disappointing game. I think you fail a lot more than you succeed, you know, unless you're the best in the world. But even then, you know, they it suggests that they still fail more than they succeed. So it's it is it is tough. And then yeah, being able to move on feels like it's one of the, the bigger keys to being able to to carry on and, and potentially succeed in in, in your career. Uh, if you're hanging on to the past then you're you're playing with a chip on your shoulder and yeah if you're feeling like you're hard done by then then things start to to go against you anyway because you're kind of bringing that sort of negative energy into into what you're doing and you're always looking or potentially looking for an excuse rather than you know what all right stuff is it's this is one person's opinion they think i shouldn't be in the team that's okay we'll move forward and then you know hopefully someone else their opinion changes and all of a sudden you're back in the team um but if i can focus on my process, if if I can focus on what I'm trying to do for the team, but then also you know the kind of person I'm trying to be, then hopefully all the all the cricket side of it takes care of itself, and and you you end up you know where you're striving to be. Watching you really closely across your two seasons at, at Middlesex when it when it wasn't clicking, and you know again everything seemed to go against you. There was that run out at Taunton. There was you batting under light seemingly every time you walked out at Lords that season, where. Middlesex has never got the rub of the green and, and leaving a little bit early in, in your second year for family reasons, which were totally understandable at the time. But what, what came through loud and clear from your colleagues was how much I loved having you as the, as the captain and that experience you were able to bring from the Victorian dressing room, which was a fairly factionalised group when you first went into it, as all of your more senior teammates from that era talk about the literal punch-ons in the dressing room when, <laughs> uh, when um, they were very successful um, about 10 or 15 years ago. But you then go back to Victoria and you use Sheffield Shield as the platform to, to kind of go again to fabulous years back-to-back, including uh, last year with the unbeaten 281 at the junction and leading the, the nation for runs by the time you got picked for the Australian side again. That, that must be really rewarding that, um, that as leader, I mean, you've had um, the opportunity to, to lead a side to a trophy as well in one-day cricket, but as the leader, that you're able to lead from the front, make bulk runs and effectively bang the door down because by the time you were picked for the India series, sure, there was a little bit of he's got experience in the subcontinent from 17, but more of it was, well, we can't knock pick this guy because he's posted the numbers and having recovered from that slump a couple of years earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a it was a nice feeling sort of getting that that run again. I'd put a lot of effort in there, put a lot of work. Um, Chris Rogers and myself had spent a long, lot of time getting the technique back to to where it was a game that could potentially hold up again in in different uh, different conditions. It was funny when when I was when you're searching for runs and you don't know where your next run comes from. You're always you're trying to find it and you're not backing anything in and you kind of forget your own simple game plan because it it's not working at that time. And so Chris and I, you know, we stripped it right back. We went back to the basics where I want to score and also just a couple of technical changes. And that, that took a lot of time to come back to, to feeling natural because at the time I didn't realise how far I'd gone away from it. Um, but, you know, circumstances had suggested that I needed to change and needed to, um, 
yeah, bat differently because I was getting found out a little bit. So that must be hard, sort of even just saying that, knowing that you get being found out, right? Like it's a big professional concession as a batter to go that bowlers had got the better of me and they were working me over, and I knew I had to make a change. Yeah, well, I'm. Mean, I feel like everyone, unless you're, yeah, you, the the best of the best in this in this game. I feel like everyone goes through those those patches that that slump where the bowlers, for whatever reason, have that have that wood over you. And yeah, there was a there was a period there where I felt like I wasn't going to score a run. Uh, everything was really really forced, and I had to try my hardest just to scrape a single when I was out in the middle, let alone you know, hitting fluent boundaries and, and starting to starting to build in innings that way. So to sort of have that have that time and then to come out the other side of it for the moment, uh, um, it, it's it's a really nice feeling and it, it 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 helps knowing that the work I'm doing is seems to be the, the right direction. Uh, doing a lot of work with a sports psych um, have also started doing some stuff with a with a clinical psych as well with with all their these extra stresses of of being a new dad uh, how that is affecting life and and what that means for my cricket game so doing all that and seeing the seeing the rewards and seeing it sort of come out the other side for the moment is is a really really nice feeling um, and probably something I can I can look back on. You know, if if I do go through another slump at some stage, I can try and remember remember this feeling and and what it what it was like, and hopefully, you know, keep building from that. Have there been any light bulb moments talking to a psych? I mean, it, it's it's something that I think all of us uh, all of us in this conversation have done at different times and and have found different parts useful. Was there is there anything in particular, or is it a, a gradual putting in place of um, good thought processes. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's like one one thing that was said where I'm like, ha, oh, beauty. That's <laughs> that's fixed it all, sweet as we don't we, we don't ever <laughs> we never need to talk again. Like we're sorted. Thanks for coming. Um, no, it's very much just a, a, a constant conversation. You know, that was sort of the last um, last month or so. I was I've been yeah having struggles again with. Uh, my own personal expectations and that that expectation word coming back into it and um, and that sort of perceived pressure. So again, it's just another conversation, reiterating what uh, what we're doing and what that means and what you're thinking at the time, and then you know backing in your processes and and making sure that everything's in place so that no matter what the result is, you you've still done everything you could to be to be ready to go and then and then the result takes care of itself either either way and presumably that helps when things don't break your way like the Ashes squad a couple of weeks ago when you weren't in the 17 that they've named four openers and no middle order reserve bats you were the incumbent in Umderbud a couple of months ago so they made a call on you in England for the time being but I mean I guess you're still here which helps but maintaining balance and calm at a decision not breaking your way that might have been more difficult earlier in your career yeah, I think I would have dealt with it very differently had this happened in, yeah, when I was a lot younger. I don't think I had the the mental mental strength to sort of go through coming in, doing pretty well in, in a test series and then not even being in the squad for the next series. But I think something really needs to be said as well for the for, for George Bailey and Andrew McDonald and, and Tony Donamade in terms of how they are 
the conversations that that they're having and and I'm not leaving that that phone call questioning you know why at least I at least I know the reasons and they're very they're very upfront and even if you don't agree with what they're saying you can understand where they're coming from and that also makes it a lot easier to deal with not being selected like it still sucks and I still was angry and I wanted to yeah throw throw stuff against the wall or whatever like go and go and vent some some rage but that's it was a very clearly communicated thing and by all means the the door's not closed like had this happened uh, uh you know when I was younger I would have felt like oh that's that's international cricket done and then you start spiraling so at least the conversations are really good uh, and I feel like I'm in a in a better position to to deal with that. And the flip side of that is that in February this year, you walked out onto the field for Australia in a test match again. Uh, after all of the work that you talked about the previous couple of domestic seasons and so on, that must have just been a tremendous feeling of satisfaction to say, you know, I've and 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 not just for any series like that's. That's the hardest task that Australian cricket has. Going to play test cricket in India is is the thing that Australia almost always struggles to do. So they've gone for the toughest job available. We want you to be the one to do it. Uh, it, it must have been hugely satisfying. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very satisfying to be to be part of the squad again. Very satisfying to then get picked to be able to to take on India in India on some of the craziest wickets we'd seen but something it it felt a lot different to to 2017 there was it 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 felt calmer it felt like okay yeah these these wickets are are a bit crazy let's let's acknowledge that but then also everyone stick to your game plan your game plan's good enough that's why you're here like trust that and you know you all might be different but let's Let's trust that, and and that feeling out there was was really cool, and that and that that also helps, you know, having been there before and and sort of being back to be the guy that can sort of control the middle middle order. Yeah, it was a it was a nice feeling. And knowing how quickly it can turn, I guess too that maybe if we were having this conversation eighteen months ago, you might have been so the fifteenth person on the depth chart for Australia with because you know of the numbers and and other players overtaking you and getting back in the top six and, and playing Test cricket, doing well, especially knowing that this setback doesn't necessarily mean you won't finish as a as a uh, as a satisfied Test cricketer. I mean, you played twenty times at Test level, um, knowing that there is the chance to to add to that tally throughout the course of your your earlier mid thirties. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm in a really, really lucky spot that I'm still only 32. So we're, we're seeing people perform quite consistently later, later on in their, in their careers. Uh, obviously Uzi's doing fantastic work at 36, 37, whatever, however old he is now. Um, Chris Rogers was one that came back in. Matthew Wade was one that came back in. Mike Hussey start, started late. You know, there's there's so much to be said for for still being able to contribute, even you know in your in your early to mid mid thirties in the Australian team. So there's still a lot of drive there, despite this setback. There's still a lot of drive to be able to play for Australia, to contribute to to wins and. Know, hopefully sing, uh, sing the team song again and, and, and have all that you know atmosphere around and, uh, and and get those those pretty good feelings.
maybe maybe you can tell me. I, I was wondering in the lead up to this interview whether it's possible for a or when I suppose it's possible for a player to look at the career they've had and say, you know, I've played 20 test matches for Australia. Most Australian cricketers don't get that far. You know, Damien Fleming played 20 tests. Adam Voges played 20 tests. Sandy Bickle played 19. Like players who we think of as, of, as having these really substantial careers or being substantial figures in Australian cricket or, you know, even someone like George Bailey who was a, a wonderful cricketer, played five test matches. Andrew McDonald played four. Like there are these excellent top-line cricketers who get very few opportunities. Is it possible to look at what you've had and think, like, like maybe maybe for anybody, for any test cricketer, their, their career is blink and they miss it. Like it, it just goes by really quickly when you're experiencing it, I would imagine. But, you know, I, I would guess there are probably 30 or 40 Australian test cricketers ever who felt actually satisfied that they'd played as much as they wanted to play and everybody else would be thinking, oh, fuck, I could have played another... 40 test matches if they'd let me you know is it is it yeah. possible to look at it like that uh I, I think I think maybe it's just a different a different word so I'm not sure anyone would ever be satisfied with the games that they played or the runs that they made I think or the wickets that they took I think as a professional sportsman you're sort of bred to do more and want more and and always yeah, always want to challenge yourself to, to be better. So, yeah, I think you, you probably leave the game thinking, yeah, I could have, you know, I could have scored a bit more. I could have made, I could have played a few more tests. But I think something that's that's I've been able to change, and I and I'm seeing it in in a few other players as well. Is just the gratefulness of being able to to play for Australia, and how lucky we are that this is our job and I am I am grateful that I got another crack to play in India and to play for Australia and put that baggy green on because there was a stage there where I thought that wasn't going to happen and if it doesn't happen again you know that's that's okay doesn't mean I'm satisfied but I'm still grateful for the career that I've had up to this moment but obviously I'm still try still striving to do a lot more yeah so it may not be satisfaction but what you certainly can be is very proud of, of the way that you've played the game so far, the way you've handled yourself. And we're grateful you've been willing to share that with us on your birthday. I wish we were more prepared and had have known that beforehand. But uh, um, it's been great having you for this conversation on The Final Word. Appreciate your time and enjoy the rest of your birthday. Uh, cheers, guys. Love it. I had to go.